was that one of the biggest gifts you can give someone in a tragedy is to be a non-anxious presence. Mm. You don't have to say anything. You just have to be there. Hi, my name is Daniel, and this is the death of my podcast. I am so, so, so grateful for everyone that has reached out over email, over Facebook, over Instagram this week. I've been hearing from people from all over the place saying and uh, how much hearing other people's stories has um, made them feel less alone. And um, you guys have also been sharing your stories with me, and it's been very, very special to hear and very special to read. Um, I'm so grateful for everyone that um, continues to support and continues to listen. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm realizing the more I talk to people and the more stories I read is that we're all grieving and we're all sad, but the feelings are kind of intertwined, like we're all kind of doing this together and we're really not alone. So please just hear that loud and clear that you are not alone in the grief you're going through in the sadness and in the pain sometimes, even in the happy thoughts, like we're all in this together. If you need anything at all, you can always find me at the death of my on Instagram or the death of my podcast at gmail.com. Today, I talked to my new friend, Anne. She's a marriage and family therapist and a public speaker. She lost her father, and we talk about the death of her dad and how going into full-time therapy has helped her and helped others. Um, so please enjoy today's episode with Anne. Hi, it's your dad. Just call me and say hi. Check in up and see how you're doing. I hope all is well. Everything's pretty much the same here. I'm doing okay. I love you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Can you quickly just give us your name, where you live, who are you, what do you do? Just a quick yeah. rundown. So my name is Ian Rulo. I live in a northern part of Missouri called Chillicothe. We are the uh, home of sliced bread. That's the uh, <laughs> <laughs> our no notoriety up here. And um, we live up here with our two kids. I I'm married. My husband is the local football coach and a teacher here. So that's what brought us here. Um, I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri, and he's from St. Louis. So we met in the middle at school at Mizzou. And um, for, oh gosh, almost 15 years, I was a licensed professional therapist mm -hmm. and um, licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist. They, they care about those letters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in some places. But, um, and then when he got this job up here, I have always wanted to write and speak. So I actually stepped away from frontline counseling to kind of reach out to more people in a different format. So I've been um, writing and running a website and doing some speaking. And so that's been the new career path the last couple of years here. And then I heard about your podcast. So I was really excited about it. Can you just share with everyone how you heard about this podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. So it's super ironic. Um, I listen to lots of podcasts when I exercise. And one of my favorite places in the world to exercise is this like multiple acre gorgeous 
big treed cemetery in our uh, community. And mm -hmm. so I was walking and listening and I heard in the cemetery the death of my podcast That's advertised. So it was so ironic. Um, and it also sounded really interesting to me. So I, I uh, checked in. That's awesome. I'm so <laughs> glad you did. Um, but I, so I start every one of these with the same question and yeah. it's who died? My father when I was 16. And what happened? So I led a pretty um, idyllic, uh, I don't know, almost white picket fence kind of upbringing, right? It was my mom and my dad and my two younger sisters. Um, he was a salesman. He uh, worked in retail. Mom was a nurse. We went to school, had our friends, lived in suburbia, kind of your, your everyday, you know, middle of Missouri kind of story. And so, um, let's see. There was a point in January of 1996 where I was sick, had the flu or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember him sitting in the chair he always sat in and he said, how are you feeling? And I told him, I was like, oh, I'm kind of achy and kind of whatever it was I described to him. And he said, I kind of feel the same way. And I, that was the end of the conversation. And why I remember that, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward a couple months and there were two different things that happened. So this is April of 96. We were, um, my sisters and I were all constantly in sports. My dad um, was one of five brothers and had no girls. And so he was like, I guess I'm going to do this boy thing through the girls. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we learned how to do stuff with cars and we learned how to do all the sports and we loved it and he loved it. And, you know, honestly, my dad was kind of, I think, fascinated um, by being a parent. I think he just, he was just one of those parents that was just like, I can't believe like these kids are mine. Like he kind of, he was just one of those celebrator kind of parents. Yeah. And so I was at a basketball practice and I looked over and he was opening and closing his mouth repeatedly. And I thought, well, that's odd. Well, we get home and he had noticed that he had some, um, some like a muscle loss on one side of his face. And, uh, my, we have, I have a lot of medical people in my family. And my uncle said, you know, it's probably Bell's palsy. That's probably what's going on. Some paralysis on one side of your face, but we'll look into it. Well, we didn't get to look into it before he collapsed at work in April. And when he collapsed at work, started running tests, ran an MRI. And because my mom is a nurse, we got, we have these records of the MRI that we got to bring home. And he had 26 tumors from head to toe mm. at that point. So I, I mean, I didn't know what that meant as a kid. What was your question? Sorry. What happened? I was just, I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just 26. I mean, it looked like connect the dots on his body and almost looked unreal, you know, as we looked at the, at the films that we had when we were at home and so 26 tumors. And so they, then they started, um, I mean, it, now I know cause I'm a grown up that mm -hmm. it was palliative care. Right. Um, but they said, okay, we're gonna, um, we're going to do some chemo and we're going to do some radiation. So this is, this is April and they started doing some of that. And during that time, um, I remember driving somewhere with my mom and I said something about dad and 
my high school graduation and my mom said, honey, I don't think he's going to be there because as a nurse, obviously my mom knew, right? Mm -hmm. Like she, she said the phrase later, once I understood what was going on, she was like, he was a dead man walking. I mean, she knew that as, as a, as a medical person, but that was the first time that it became really clear to me before that. Um, I don't know if you have anybody that follows the Enneagram on your, uh, that listens to your podcast, but I am deeply in Enneagram nine and I'm like, the world is fine. We're all in harmony. It's all going to be good. You know? And so that was really my wake up call. And so, I mean, there were just, you know, a few little memories that I have here and there. He got really sick really quick. And, um, I was working in a deli and my mom and my sisters walked in in July And when they walked in the front door, as I was working, I looked at them and I was like, oh, it's time, right? Like I knew. So we knew immediately. I could just tell by the looks on their faces, right? And so hopped in the car, went to the hospital, and then we just waited, right? Um, Like so many people have waited with people who are dying of cancer. And you just wait, is this the last breath? Is this the last breath? And... Um, I remember that, um, I really, for whatever reason, and I think we do this a lot with death because death feels so out of our control. We find the things we want to control. Well, my thing was I was going to be there when you died. Like I really wanted that. And so I had stayed and I had stayed and I had stayed and his brothers had come by and people had visited. And, um, I went down to the cafeteria to, um, because I think the nurses were going to turn him to prevent bed sores. And so we all kind of left the room and my mom went somewhere. My sisters and I got some food. And when we came back, he was gone. And I remember being so angry, like not at him, but like the one thing I was, I wanted, you know, yeah. and, um, I, it's just funny what you do. And granted, remember I'm a 16 year old kid at this point. My sisters are 14 and 12 and uh, I did something really irrational, um, but I, people do lots of irrational things when people die. I was like, I said, no. And then I ran out of the room and down the hallway in the hospital. Yeah. And then I got to the doors at the end of the hallway and I thought, what am I doing? And I turned around and my aunt is like running down the hall after uh-huh. me, come back, come back. And yeah. um, it's this very comical scene in my head now, <laughs> but at the time it was just kind of ridiculous. So. Anyway, went back and, um, you know, I think probably one of the most, um, one of the most salient scenes that I just have not forgotten is I walk in there, I was on one side of the bed, he's just passed, my mom is standing on the other side of the bed, and my mom, who is just, she is a hero, she just is exceptional, Um, and she said, well, this wasn't what I had planned, and that was just that was kind of the statement was, okay, this is our new, this is our new normal. This wasn't in our plan and we got to figure this thing out. And so we went ahead with the, the burial and the funeral and all the busyness that comes when somebody passes. So did you have like, since you had a little bit of time, were you guys starting to prepare all that stuff Mm -hmm. just before we had gone um which is where I found out that funerals are way less expensive if you plan them before someone dies than after (laughs) which is you don't know these things right nope and that's the whole I'm gonna have a whole separate episode dedicated to just that little stuff yeah yeah like I wish people knew that yeah 
the thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. dollars to do six months in advance is yeah. mind boggling or, like, you know, really or like some is. months advance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and just I, funeral planning itself is kind of funny. Like we're sitting there and we're trying to pick out songs and flowers and things. And they asked us what color casket. And we were like, well, his favorite car was brown. So I guess we'd give him a brown casket, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I mean, you just, you, it's funny what you pull at when you make decisions and in, in totally. times like that. So. And it's when you're at your lowest low when they're asking you a million yeah. questions. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you're 16. Mm-hmm. He, he passes. You go back to school telling your friends, like, just what happened after that? How was... Right. So this is actually a really, like, the most profound thing that's probably ever happened in my life. I had... There's an organization called Young Life, which is like a evangelical outreach that probably many people that listen will know of. And I had signed up to go to Young Life camp. So he died on July 3rd and we buried him on July 6th and I was scheduled to go to Young Life camp. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. Like, I can't leave my mom. Um, It sounds silly to say now, but like I was in a very serious relationship. I had dated a guy for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. He was not coming on the trip. And I was like, I don't want to leave him. I don't want to leave my mom. I don't want to leave my sisters. And uh, I honestly, I think God just made me go Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I ended up, I remember walking one foot instead in front of the other up onto that bus. And I left for Young Life Camp that night. And I was not a person of faith before that. And yeah. so I actually came to faith at that camp mm-hmm. and it ha- it was a, I mean, it changed my entire life. And I think um, that is one of the biggest gifts because I didn't, it felt like I had a part of an answer for why he was gone. Part of, part of the story of how it was, it was going to influence things um, because I'm not sure my experience at that camp would have been the same had he uh, had he still been around. So, um, that was what happened immediately. And then, you know, the rest of it was just the summer. We kept playing ball. We kept seeing our friends and, um, yeah. And didn't go, you know, went back to school in August then, but that was kind of the weirdest thing. Uh, the things I remember that were really strange was getting phone calls for him right? Like at this point we still have landlines and it'd be like, Hey, is Roger Gore there? And I'm like, do I tell you that he died? Do I just tell you? No, do I, I remember things like that were just very odd to navigate, still getting meal, getting mail for him, you know, things like that. Um, and his, he was really involved. Like he knew a lot of people and, um, so managing other people's sadness and it wasn't overwhelming, but like, um, some of my friends' dads that were so, so, so sad because they'd lost him, but they watched, it, it was like it resonated like, oh gosh, what if that were me? Right. You know, like to watch people personalize it. Um, that was probably some of the most interesting stuff to watch afterward. Mm. One thing I find fascinating with you and that I really appreciate and I want to hear more about is that you went from this like losing someone tragically at 16 to then wanting to go and help people and become marriage and family therapist right mm-hmm. okay yes uh, <laughs> wanting to become a marriage and family therapist and mm-hmm. to see that 
you even though you have felt the worst of the worst that you feel like you could still help people because you've gone right. through that and right. that's so admirable so I just love to hear what made you want to go and do that yeah well there were several pieces that fit into it you know we had a lot of people that kept saying oh gosh you're handling this so well and I mean we we grieved you know we certainly did um but one of the greatest gifts that my family gave me that I didn't even realize you know when you're a kid and your family operates a certain way you don't know that that's different from other families until you grow up because I think partly because I have so many medical people in my family and then um Maybe it's just, I don't know the culture of my family. My family was never one to ask why about bad things happening. And not that that's an inappropriate question at all. Lots of people ask why, but they never, I, I never sat around and said, why is he gone or why do bad things happen? And so um, my family is much more of a things happen. How do we make meaning out of them? How do we move forward? How do we find strength in what happens? And right. that was just my orientation to life. I didn't even know there was another way to be until I grew up and later met people that um, that faced things differently. And, and ours wasn't better or worse. I just knew that that had made me resilient. Mm. And so um, I did not end up straight at therapy. Uh, I had seven switched majors seven times in <laughs> undergraduate. So oh um, they were all in helping professions, though. Yeah. You know, it was um, teaching and physical therapy and um, child life. I thought about that for a while with kids that are sick, and then um, ended up with therapy because I think it's fascinating to watch people because everybody encounters hard things and it's fascinating to watch people encounter hard things, go through them, encourage them to find the support that they need, encourage them to face it authentically. Like that was something my family did such a good job of. Like my mom never said you're supposed to grieve this way. Like when I went running down the hallway, she didn't say, Oh, that was immature. <laughs> or when my sisters and I all slept in her bed with her for like weeks after yeah. he died right because that was how we coped um she just said whatever you need however you handle this is okay mm -hmm. and so she influenced me to have a lot of freedom in facing hard things and that really influenced the kind of therapist i became you know people um, should a lot on themselves, I say, and they um, have frameworks either from how they grew up or what they see in the media or whatever about how they're supposed to handle hard things. And so, as a therapist, I always wanted people to be in the room and they'll tell me something. They're like, they'll lead it usually with some sort of disclaimer gosh, this is really silly that I feel this way, or this was really dumb that I did this, or this. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It just is, right? That like neutral observance of your feelings or your behavior just is. And then the other piece is, so in the world of therapy, it's called narrative therapy, but it's basically meaning making. Like, how does this integrate into my story? How do I make what I've been through become part of who I am? How do I understand it as 
something that gives me strength in my story rather than takes away yeah. from who I am. And I just, I, it's been such a joy in some of the people that I've worked with because they've, gosh, some of the people that I've worked with have such complicated grief, such complicated losses. And to watch them just be like, okay, it's okay for me to feel all these different ways at the same time. Or it's okay for me to not want to go to this event or it's okay for me to whatever, right? Just kind of setting people free to heal in the way that makes sense in, um, in their mind. How was it going from your grief into this profession and mm-hmm. then sitting in, in the room hearing people talking about people they lost? How, like, did that affect you? Did it bring you back to where you were? Right. Good question. Um, so as far as like me helping other people through their grief, that was far enough removed from my own mm. that it didn't typically end up there. So, I mean, I was 16 when I lost Tim. I didn't gain my license for therapy till my like late, tw- I mean, I was doing that in my later twenties. Right. So I'd had some time. Um, it was, it was more, I think, well, as a therapist, um, the only time you're supposed to share your own story in the room is if you feel like it will benefit the client. Hmm. So there were times that it just wasn't appropriate to share because it would have shifted the focus to me. Yeah. Right. Um, but then there were other times that I did share, especially when it was, um, oh, especially when it was a dad, um, occasionally I would share, um, and especially if it was, it was when they were younger, um, Mm. just to say, you know, it, if it, if I felt like it would give them strength, then I would share it with them. The time, the only, honestly, some of the only times it really messed with me that he was gone, uh, were things like like time, like it messed with me when he was gone longer than I'd known him. That was a weird deal. Right. And, um, somehow him being gone 20 years was like, Oh, and then when his brothers are, have been passing away, it makes it more real that he's gone. Cause he was the youngest of five Mm -hmm. and those four men lived a long time. Like his oldest brother just died very recently and to have them going, um, because they all look very similar. <laughs> yeah. Is it is strange when another one of them passes I go back to it. Uh it's uh, just because I think it'll help people potentially. Uh when I so when he passed away, I wouldn't say that I grieved that loss very much then. I'm very much a delayed griever. I find space when it works in my life and not that that's always healthy, but that's just what I tend to do. Yeah. And um that relationship that I told you about, we broke up gosh, I don't know, about a year later. And I think I grieved my loss of my dad at that point. Like, I think I was way more upset at that breakup than I probably really was. And I, but that felt like a safer place to have the tears and the sadness. Let it all out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I remember my mom telling me a story that, um, she felt like my dad grieved his own dad dying at her dad's funeral. Like you just kind of transfer grief around to where it, where it fits. You find a sad movie or you find an incident or you find a whatever and things just your body, your body knows to heal, but sometimes it sticks that healing in other places, that grief in other places. Yeah. 
how do you deal with your grief right now? Like in this current day, do you still feel it? Yeah. Um, I don't much, again, it sneaks up on me, right? right? Like there will be, there will be things. Um, it's more like, again, that, that meaning making, like, I feel like I know why he left and I didn't have to question that. And I feel like there's been such purpose in the loss like there's been such things that have so many things that have happened in the rest of our lives because of him leaving when he did um that it it makes it feel worth it's not it because <laughs> you don't ever wish someone gone um but i i don't resent it and so that makes it easier not to um to not feel the grief um the grief now is more like, oh, darn it. I sure wish he could have known my husband and my two brothers-in-law yeah. because they would have had a good time together. Like they just, he was a kind of a silly person. Yeah. And, and um, I think he just would have laughed with those men and had so much fun with those men. I think he would have been fascinated by his grandkids just like he was with us you know so it's more like oh gosh those moments would have been would have been really cool but we also because he's gone we get to create the narrative about him for yeah. our kids and yeah. so we just take advantage of that we're like grandpa roger would have done this or grandpa roger would have done that you know and so um it also helps that my mom, I mean, I've said several times how exceptional she is. Um, she was deeply sad that he was gone, but she is also um, an incredibly uh, gifted alone person. Like she's really good at being independent, always has been. And so her, she's just, I think she's done things in her life um, that maybe she wouldn't have if she'd stayed married, traveled and did things and tried different careers and just has been really brave and an example to us when you know life hands you lemons kind of a moment yeah. and she has made gallons of lemonade out of it <laughs> like she just has handled it like a champion and so yeah. that has been such a gift I think to my sisters and I moving forward how was it being the oldest sibling with your sisters great question so it was um I, I just remember some things that happened. So he had a car and when he passed, I got that car. And that also meant that I got to be the um, carpool person. Sharp right? chauffeur. Yeah. Yeah. So that I remember that more than anything. Like I just, my mother did not in any way um, make me an adult before my time. Not at, not at all. She, I mean, that was, she was very appropriate in how she handled that. But like, I just, did things, you know, took my sister's places or ran to the store or did things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and then my sisters and I are, are really close. And, um, so I, I don't know that being, being older as much as just being together, like it created this really, again, I, I, I don't wish him gone, but that time that it just became this, like, girl time on steroids right mm -hmm. like mom and the three of us girls together my mom again 
um, with the lemonade thing, right? Like we did not, I mean, we weren't poor, but we didn't have money to do a lot of extravagant things. And um, one of the things she did once she received his life insurance money was she took us all on vacation to the Caribbean. And so we went together, just the four of us and kind of celebrated him and um, this experience we wouldn't have had if he had been gone, if he hadn't been gone. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was more the collective togetherness rather than my, than my leadership during that time, I think. Yeah. What was he like? Do you have any, (laughs) do you have a favorite memory with him? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, many, like I said, he was just kind of, um, he was just kind of silly, but also serious at the same time. Um, he played with us really well. I remember playing a lot of basketball, mm-hmm. uh, played a lot of basketball in the driveway. He had a historic car that he was restoring perpetually in our garage um, that we would all kind of work on together. He liked to camp. He liked to canoe. He liked to um, just be a part of whatever we were doing. He wore bib overalls like a farmer (laughs) all the time, Mm. all the time. Um, But he wasn't a farmer. Like he like wore a suit to work. (laughs) So that was always kind of funny. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think, you know, I think one of the most fascinating things about my dad was that, so he was in retail for a long time. And then just the few years before he died, he tried a couple different business adventures. He tried to start one on his own. He also, and that didn't work. He uh, got his real estate license, but that didn't really work out either. And then I remember randomly like a couple other odd jobs here and there. And um, first when he died, I remember thinking, gosh, I hope he wasn't, he didn't feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. I hope he didn't feel that way. Cause those things didn't work out. Cause he left a nice job to try these things. Yeah. And I remember worrying my sisters and I both, I remember talking, all of us, I remember talking about saying, did he, did he ever feel embarrassed that he tried these things? Um, cause he tried other things like, He'd try to like pick up running and then be like, oh yeah, no, I'm not with that. Like he tried things. Um, and then later, again, that meaning making, what a gift that was because I thought my dad was brave. I thought he was brave for, for trying things. And I have two very brave parents. Like if they feel like there's something they want to try, they did it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it, it didn't, but what a lesson that was to us. And yeah. so when I decided hey, you know, I spent all this time and money to get a couple of master's degrees and a couple professional licenses, and I'm going to stop it all and stay at home and see if I can be a writer and a speaker. Part of that is my parents' influence saying, (laughs) if you want to chase a dream, do it. Mm. And so I appreciate that things that may have felt like failures to him looked like bravery to us. I think that really influenced us in those ways. Not only does he sound like the best, but so does your mom. Oh man, she's parents. Yeah, she's a hero. She really, I mean, and she's so funny. Like, she doesn't understand why we find her incredible. Like, she's just that person, right? Which makes it that much better. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. Yeah, she's a fascinating human. Mm. What are What are your thoughts on death? 
Mm. I think it's sacred. Mm. Um, so well, I mentioned my dad being one of five. I think um, my, my mom is one of eight. So uh, I remember when I met my husband, he told me that he never went to a wedding or a funeral until he was a senior in high school. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like there's so many people in my family. Yeah. Funerals were like an every couple of month occurrence because just somebody died for some reason, right? It was just, and again, my family's orientation to death. Like I know there are people who don't take their children's their children to funerals, um, which is a fine decision. But for us, like funerals were just a thing we did. And uh, my my um, last couple grandparents when I was young, and then uh, my mom's sister died when I was eight of cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I had some pretty significant losses yeah. early on too. And so um, it felt very just, it's part of life. And then since then I found it to be really sacred in terms of like, this is going to sound super weird. I like funerals, not that I enjoy them, but I find them to be such a place for people to heal, to engage with conversations you would probably never have anywhere else, sure. you know, uh, such a place to celebrate them. Um, I mean, for me, like, death is moving on to heaven. Death is a celebration. Yeah. Um, I, so my dad um, got to know, like I mentioned, he was with in our, uh, in our sports a lot. My sisters ran competitive track and their track coach turned out to be a pastor. And he led my dad to faith in Christ a week before he died. And mm -hmm. I, as a, not being a person of faith at that time, when he told that, when the pastor told that story at um, the funeral, I didn't even, I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, but he is also African-American and the pastor of our church at home in Kansas City. And he was the first one to introduce me to the idea of a homegoing celebration. Mm. and um because we'd always called him funerals or wakes or whatever and he was and he just he just owned it he said um you know where i come from we call them home goings and they are <laughs> celebrations and he just made it this really positive experience and so um i i think i think that's also influenced a lot of of how I understand death, I, I think sitting with someone in their final hours, being with families in their final hours, I think that's a privilege. Mm -hmm. And um, with my husband being a football coach, it's a pretty influential role in a young pe person's life and in a community yeah. a lot of times. And we've lost some players. We've had some players lose parents while we were coaching them. And the privilege of sitting in hospitals yeah. and being with them um, has been a real, a real gift. And all those hours in the hospital with my dad really prepped me for that. All those funerals I went to yeah. with my family really prepped me for that. And so um, I never want these tragic things to happen, but I'm so grateful for the preparation that I've had that my husband and I can step into yet another hospital and sit with a family and know how to be present. Yeah and hopefully be helpful um, 
I think so random counseling term I had a friend teach me that she learned in pastoral counseling was that one of the biggest gifts you can give someone in a tragedy is to be a non-anxious presence. Mm. You don't have to say anything. Just have to be there. Mm. Right. And, and not be fretting as best you can just, just be there and uh, sit with them. And that's such a gift. A lot of times. How do you celebrate anniversaries and the, death's the verse or do you do anything special for birthdays or holidays or yeah good question again i just think and i hope this speaks freedom to some people um we don't and um honestly sometimes july 3rd passes and it's like july 5th and i'm like oh you died a couple days ago like i i'm not we're not big um cemetery visitors we are sometimes we talk about him sometimes we don't that has ebbed and flowed over the years and I mentioned that because some of those things celebrating anniversaries paying attention to birthdays going to special places going to where they're buried are very sacred for people and they're very grounding and so if somebody told me that that was how they remembered that person I'd say do it do that thing right like i have my father's side of the family they are funeral flower people Mm. they go and they visit everybody and they put down flowers everywhere like they are like watching for sales on flowers because they're buying so many of them to go do all the things right yeah and um my family's just not that way and again that that goes back to how they orient themselves to death right it's just it just is And so they're kind of like, Hey, we make meaning going forward. We don't make meaning in the past. And so for people, I think there are people that some I've had clients who have felt guilty. They're like, I don't want to go to where they are, or I forgot it was their birthday and they feel really guilty. And I'm like, please don't your body, your mind, your spirit will tell you what's significant for you, you know? And so if there's anybody listening, that's like, gosh, I don't feel like I do death the way I'm supposed to. There's no supposed to, right? You do what works. You do what works for you. Yeah. And everyone's different. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could tell him, your dad, Mm. one last thing, one more thing. Yeah. What what would you want to tell him? I would tell him he did his job well. You know, I, um, I mentioned that funeral and my, my pastor and the home going, the scripture that he used in the funeral was Paul talking about running our race. Mm -hmm. And then as, because he was a track coach, right. As well as being a pastor, he translated that over and he goes, you know what? Some people are sprinters and some people are middle distance runners and some people are long distance runners. Roger was a middle distance runner. He made it to 49 and that was his race and he did it well. And so if he ever worried when he was leaving, if did I do everything I was supposed to, did I, I, I mean, I think that's what people probably worry about when they leave children behind. Right. Did I, did I give them the lessons they needed? Did I give them the, the nurturance, the guidance, you know, all that he did. And he didn't even know he was doing it. But even things that, like I said, that looked like failures, the risks he took, 
the willingness to potentially look foolish because he was chasing a dream, all that translated into three daughters that have felt free Mm -hmm. to become who they were supposed to be, to make mistakes, to be resilient. Um, And it gave my mom the opportunity to show her daughters what it looks like when life doesn't turn out the way you think it's supposed to, and that that doesn't have to be the end of things, the tragedy of things, that it actually can be the beginning of this incredible path you didn't think you were gonna gonna go on. So, yeah, I would. That would be it. I'd say, Dad, you did your job, even though it feels like you left early. <laughs> you did your job. If someone listening just lost their dad, yeah. What, what are some words of encouragement? What's something you'd want to tell them? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. I think I've worked with so many people that have complicated grief. Yeah. Um, they had, like, I had a nice dad. I had a dad who was good to me. Not everybody has that. And so for those people who lose people who it doesn't fit feel like it fits in a nice neat box I would say be okay with it feeling complicated be okay with I lost my dad and that makes me sad and it makes me angry and it makes me confused and it makes me feel irritated that I didn't maybe say what I wanted to or do what I wanted to or didn't get what I wanted to um So for those, again, again, just speaking freedom into whatever it is. And for those who lost a dad that, that was the one that they wanted, right. They lost their hero. Um, that be sad, be sad. That's okay. You know, um, and part of what we do is, um, train our neural pathways to go in ways that are healthy. And so if in the middle of the sadness, you're also recognizing the beauty that he put in your life and the ways that he formed you and shaped you. And if you can make meaning of who he was to you, that will be healing. Mm -hmm. And if sometimes you're a total mess and you do irrational things, fine. And if sometimes you feel like you have it all together, fine. Like that's the thing about grief, right? Like it's just time so much. It's just so much time for your body to figure out how to heal. And sometimes you don't, it, it, it changes you forever. Yeah. Um, and there will days that that feels like you're broken and there will days, days that it makes you feel like you have strength and you just have to kind of lean into whatever's happening on that particular day. Let's say, for instance, uh, a good friend of mine's dad just passed. Mm-hmm. How can I be a better friend in supporting them from yeah. your perspective? Yeah, good question. Um, again, that non-anxious presence, mm. just being able to be, if they want you to be present with them, just to be present with them, right? Um, respecting if they don't want people around, right? Like giving the freedom 
to people to grieve. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes, and I'm not suggesting this about you at all, but grief in general, sometimes because we want some control, we want to feel like we're doing something to help the other person, we almost end up with our own agenda. Mm. Like, find me a way that I can help you so that I feel better, right? right? Like, we don't want to watch other people hurt. And if we can increase our tolerance for letting other people be in pain, that helps almost any relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like marriages get in those trouble all the time because people will be like, you know, this, the classic, like wife come home from work and she's like, I had all these problems at work and husband starts offering all solutions to the work or to the problem. And she's like, no, 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 no. I just needed you to be with me. Yes. Right? Yes. It's true. <laughs> I know that one for there sure. There you go. And yes. it's so common because we do, we love these people. Mm-hmm. We don't want to we don't want them to hurt, so we want to hurry them through it. Mm-hmm. We don't think about it that way. But we we that's part of our motivation is like don't hurt anymore because it's so it's too hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's too hard for me to watch you be in pain to be suffering. And so if we can recognize that pain is not bad, that pain has purpose. that it's okay for people to sit in that space that will allow us to let people move through at their own pace better. And then the other one, sometimes I'm like, I I feel overly practical. Um, Ask them, (laughs) you know, like, what do you need today? Yeah. Is there anything you need today? Um, I mean, for me, sometimes I'll just, I'll text people because it's safer, especially in deep emotion situations. Just be like, Tell me two ways I can be praying really specifically for you. Sure. If I've got a friend who um, is going through something and I'm at this and I know that it's just kind of overwhelming their life, I'll text them when I'm at the store, need anything from Walmart. Mm-hmm. Right. So just stuff like that. Um, I think those are easier for people to sometimes take uh, to engage in. Yeah. Uh, when they're, when they're grieving, sometimes when you're just more practical, Hey, what do you need today? You know, and just, you know, want to go for a walk and again, not having any agenda of your own, just being present with them. Well, and thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. This was a joy. I really appreciate it. And I feel like this might help someone or two. I hope so. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Bye. Bye so giggly hi hi <laughs> i think it's because i woke up so early you're delusional yeah um i just did the intro about 12 times 10 of which you were laughing through <laughs> two two and of... you did it like five times okay it's dramatic are we even recording right now we are recording because oh. i'm angry i just i thought i was doing so good and i was getting at it and then you just start laughing because it's so funny what's funny you were like explaining something and then you you just say i don't know (laughs) who cares (laughs) it's more personable personal it's literally me talking i know i think that's the funny part that it's me because like i know you so it's like (laughs) i know your thought process (laughs) So it just makes me laugh and it's hard. Thanks. Got to say something really cool. Yeah. Even though I told you right before we did this. Oh. That people really like it when you're on this. Nice. It's people's favorite part. No. Yeah.
I think it's important that people hear from your perspective and you keep but me what in line. What perspective am I bringing? You're you. You're my, not only are you my wife and that you did this, walk through this journey with my <coughs> grief with me, mm-hmm. but you also just are a different voice. Like this whole, people have just been listening to me and then someone else talk, but then you come in and you're kind of, you're just my wingman, you know? Wing. Wing woman. Wing wing. <laughs> wing. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you? Giggly. Yeah, why? I don't know. I need to sleep. Our dog got surgery yesterday. For anyone that has a dog or a child, uh, this is my first my first baby, my first Can child. Can you even consider it surgery? <laughs> He they put he, he they put him under. He got a baby tooth removed. They shaved part of his arm. You could have done that when he was awake. <laughs> remove his baby tooth. You know what's so crazy? What? Is I make it sound so dramatic to everyone I talk to. I was like, my poor baby was in surgery. <laughs> he bar- they like didn't even cut him open. Nothing. I mean they they, they shaved his arm. They yes. put an IV in him. Yes. They knocked him out. Yes. He woke up and he comes home and he's super out of it mm-hmm. um he was crying a lot he just laid down and cry but he's doing better today mm-hmm. now i think i just want this ed segment to just be updates on our life random yeah and it's okay <laughs> nice it's a little bit of everything you know yeah how was it stressful at all for you with diego yeah oh gosh for those that don't know um i have severe anxiety i think that's what i got diagnosed with probably um it doesn't even matter what it was but yes um what do you mean like there's different levels i believe of anxiety okay um regardless he was like yep and therapist (laughs) i'm like where are we um but i stress out a lot yes and you worry a lot. I worry a lot, but I have been my whole life. Yeah. Because um, I've known you your whole life. <laughs> most of it. We just celebrated eight years together. Next. Great. That's not most of your life, BT. That's... Whatever. I'm 16. <laughs> that's so gross. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was definitely stressed. I mean, he is my baby boy. We've had him for two years. That's a lot. That's a This uh, weekend. Yeah. That's the longest I've ever take charted, you know, how to take care of something. We yes. had fish for a few months and then I died. Yeah. Um, and you were very stressed when we first got our dog, Diego. Yes, of course. And you've come a long way with him. Thank now you, you can hold him in his arms. I can You're, watch him without you. Yeah. For reals. You uh, can s- watch him lay on the top of the couch and not be scared. I know. I was just... We're still working on taking him out on walks. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And feeding him. Okay. And in the essentials. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> his surgery, I was um, I was just stressed a little bit because anything can happen. I know anything could happen at any time, but you know that his life was literally in someone else's hands. Mm-hmm. Does like the grieving process at all affect? that part of you like him going into surgery and like your thought process at all do you know what i'm trying to say yeah i don't think that affects me i think okay. i'm just more it's more just I'm like always anxiety worried. yeah stuff. gotcha yeah. 
I just didn't know if that could bring up anything. I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah. Are you doing okay? I'm fine. Groovy. Yeah. I'm fine too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm okay. Do I sound like you? Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, I think this week, what was I sad about? I think I I just. I can't even. I don't even know what day it is. It's Sunday. No, today's Saturday. It's Saturday. But it's coming out tomorrow, so it's Sunday. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't remember this week. Do you? No, but I feel like something happened and I was really sad. And I just can't put it together what it was. But I think I'm okay this week. My my triple whammy is done. Mm -hmm. So his birthday was in May. The day he died was in June. Father's Day was in June. The last episode we recorded was on Father's Day last Sunday. We could right. go today. Um, so I think this last week has been, it's been okay. Father's Day, I know we t- talked about it last time, but that was hard going to work and yeah. and just hearing that over and over again. And um, is there any like relief in you that that like three trunk is over? Yeah, yeah. I there's like this like mental block or there there's like this something in my brain that's just like okay we got over that hump yeah um but i mean i'm still can sad. like breathe a little easier maybe yeah it's just still like really sad i know i could say that but i hope people listening understand that like they do because i because <laughs> they're the, in it but sometimes i can look i know i've said this before but i can look at the same photo a hundred times but i look at it one time mm-hmm. and i'm just devastated yeah like i just miss him so much yeah and it's really sad yeah and like life keeps moving right Mm -hmm. friends lives keep moving family life keeps moving our life keeps moving but like there's this part of me that is so deep rudely sad forever yeah and every day I get messages from people mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. The last like three or four weeks, every day I have to, it's just been incredible reading these people's stories. And it's like, not even people are just saying, hi, you know, thanks for this podcast. It's mm-hmm. hi. Here's everything that I'm going through with my grief. Right. Thank you for sure. You know, but like the fact that so many people are feeling the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I keep saying every day I'm getting messages from people grieving and sad all around the country and we're all feeling the same thing. Yeah. And now it's time to talk about it. Yeah. It's time to keep sharing our story and like not just push it down because I feel like we just like swallow it all Mm -hmm. and then just walk like nothing just happened. Mm -hmm. As the world keeps coming at us, everything's normal, everything's fine. And we're just letting it sit there and not talking about it. We need to cry it out sometimes. We need yeah. to throw it up sometimes. Oh. But do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For the most part. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. Like, I wonder the people that are reaching out. I wonder, I don't know, like, how many have felt like they could just, like, message something or someone, like, their whole story. and Yeah. Like, feel comfortable you know what i mean a stranger yeah so i wonder like if that's 
like happens or if this is just because of what you're doing like you know what i mean yeah i hope it happens i the more i do this and the more i see on social media that there's so many grief things out there which are amazing there's this one that's called grief tips if you're listening oh yeah you and you follow grief tips on instagram i have no idea who actually runs it i think (laughs) i've said this before but it's just the most simple basic explanations and the colors she chooses, I think <laughs> it's a she, um, are wonderful. And I just love everything about that Instagram. Yeah. I've only seen a few things, but I like how practical it it's is. That's the word, practi- it's like, so practical. It's so practical. And it's thinking. so simple. Yeah. Practical, simple, <laughs> whatever it is. It's just, it's wonderful. So grief tips on Instagram. Uh, we're working on the website for the death of my. Yeah. Um, if you want to share a story i'm going to create a space where you can post it maybe people other people can see it too and it can remain anonymous um there is a mailing list i i want to be sending out once a month emails that include kind of just videos links of readings and podcasts and just different things that you can read watch and see um about grief and dealing with it and just to keep providing resources and I'm really excited for some other goodies to come out. Nice. Yeah. Um, Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Good night. I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye.